Welcome to your Actors Tech Brief podcast. I'm Molly Colleen, and this week we'll be discussing the new European Media Freedom Act. The proposal was released last week by the Commission on the grounds that, in the context of recent declines in media freedom in some EU countries, safeguards on editorial independence and a greater emphasis on transparency within the sector are needed. This episode is powered by Google. Tackling misinformation is more important than ever. That's why the European University Institute, the Carlos Gulbenkian Foundation, YouTube and Google are hosting Fighting Misinformation Online. Join policymakers and experts from around Europe for the next Fighting Misinformation Online Summit on November 29th in Brussels and virtually. Visit g.co slash events slash fighting misinfo to find out more. I'm joined today by Renata Schroeder, Director of the European Federation of Journalists, and Ilias Contius, Executive Director of Emma Enpa, an organisation that represents magazine media and news publishers in Europe. So, to get started, the Commission has argued that the Act's legal basis lies in improving the functioning of the internal market, but in reality, the legislation will go far beyond purely economic issues. Renata, Given that media policy is generally seen as a national competence and that Europe's media landscape is so varied, is this the best way that the Commission could have approached the regulation and is it a solid enough basis to stand up in court? Um, Thank you, Molly. Well, first of all, I have to say we applaud the Commission that finally they deal with media because indeed it had been traditionally in the competence of member states. We believe that the threat posed to media freedom in the EU does require EU-wide action, which has become necessary to protect Europe's democratic values. And it seems that the legal basis regarding internal market is the one that follows its internal logic also within the framework of the Audiovisual Media Service Directive of the DSA and DMA, on which it is now building up. And Ilias, what are your thoughts on this? As you can imagine, uh, our perspective here uh, is uh, is not necessarily the same. Uh, the legal basis identified by the European Commission to pass on uh, and adopt uh, this piece of legislation, we do consider it problematic. We haven't seen sufficient evidence uh, to showcase that there is an EU internal market for media uh, that justifies this kind of intervention. Uh, the media landscape in our sector has operated uh, under different uh, cultural, linguistic, geographical elements and characteristics that are the ones that determine and define the diversity and pluralism in Europe. Uh, we haven't seen Uh, sufficient evidence justifying this kind of regulatory intervention from the side of the European Commission. And we feel that the legal basis that has been selected is is problematic. So the Act was largely pitched as a means of increasing transparency when it comes to media ownership and therefore introducing safeguards against political influence of the press. But 
In reality, there are very few concrete transparency measures actually included in the text. So Renata, why do you think this is and what will the regulation actually achieve if it's missing these measures? Well, why that is, we may want to ask Elias. I'm not sure if his organization has been able to lobby, but indeed we have asked for much stronger rules on media transparency. Um, I can give you maybe two questions with two examples which show how important it is. For example, why we welcome to see that the Commission is mandating that its allocations follows transparent, objective, proportionate, and non-discriminatory criteria and procedure, specifically when it comes to state advertisement, we do not understand why they put an exemption on territorial entities with more than one million inhabitants. Those provisions will then cut out a huge percentage of the EU territory. For example, in Hungary, only Budapest would reach that threshold, leaving outside the majority of regional and local territories. You can imagine our members, specifically in Central Eastern Europe, who have been longing for such a Media Freedom Act and for more media transparency, are desperate, seeing now that most of their territory would not fall under these important state advertisement rules. Furthermore, as has been identified by the Media Pluralism Monitor, which um, has its report every year since 2016, I believe, indeed the absence of media ownership transparency has great impercussions on media plurality and even on editorial independence. We think the right to know who is behind an owner is a, a right to know for any public citizen, for any consumer, and honestly, what are you afraid of, dear Elias, of being transparent? Transparency has been a major issue in the DSA. We want the platforms to be as transparent as possible with all reasons, but we also want to be media service providers with an editorial responsibility to be as transparent as possible. Dear Renate, we are not afraid of uh, being transparent. We are not afraid of transparency. We are transparent. Uh, anybody can go on the website of, of any publication and see uh, who is the owner, who is the publisher, uh, the address, uh, the contact details, uh, the editorial teams, and whatever uh, they want to find uh, out about uh, the publication. Uh, what, of course, uh, is, uh, is, is, is an element that is interesting here is that uh, there might be some unintended consequences that I'm not sure uh, the Commission has uh, thought very well through, uh, because what they seem to have in mind here uh, might go in a direction uh, that could uh, play a role on the ownership of uh, family businesses in the media sector all across Europe. And let's agree that these kind of businesses are there. And what do we really want to, to see here? Do we want to see uh, family structures being uh, unveiled, being revealed, family connections? Uh, I have an issue here with the fact that the European Commission contradicts 
contradicts a bit itself when it says uh, that one of its big priorities is the protection of data uh, of citizens and the protection of privacy. But of course, privacy uh, also equally applies uh, to those family businesses that may have to reveal uh, a lot of private and personal information uh, if what in the end comes out in the Media Freedom Act follows this kind of logic. Um, thank you very much for your honesty, dear Elias. And I'm really sorry that I have to laugh a little bit when you talk about poor little family um, companies whose privacy may be hindered. To be honest, I completely do not understand. The, the conditions at the moment uh, do not ask for any private names. And by the way, micro enterprises are excluded for anonymity reasons. So small family enterprises which... I don't think there are many left, um, would not fall below that if, uh, if they are micro-enterprises. But I imagine you laugh yourself. Second point, you say all countries already have media concentration rule. Why Then why are you concerned? I did some recent research for, for a project as a jury member looking for media ownership for credibility reasons. And for example, in the Baltic and other countries, I did not find anything. So um, I think we, sh we should really talk about the same things. I would like to react uh, because I agree that we need to talk about the same things, dear Renate, and I have the impression that we confuse a bit here concentration and transparency. And, of course, I never uh, spoke only about uh, small uh, media uh, companies. They are there. Uh, but, again, uh, this, should not, uh, this should apply equally to all. Uh, and I, I have the impression uh, that uh, you... Uh, are focused on specific problems that uh, may appear uh, in specific countries and specific markets in the Europe. And I agree that there are uh, political problems that should be addressed. Uh, no doubt there, no disagreement from my side. Uh, but uh, uh, the problem that I see, and uh, we agree that we probably do not agree here, is that uh, by expanding uh, European regulation uh, in a sector that has operated differently up to now, uh, we do not solve problems that you seem to think, fair enough, it's your point of view, uh, we can solve. Um, so, uh, concentration is a completely different topic. Uh, and if you allow me one word here, uh, there is concentration in media markets that has enabled smaller publications to consolidate and survive. And I think the media pluralism monitor that you have cited already uh, has given Belgium as uh, such an example. Uh, and one last word uh, in this question, uh, from, from my side at least, um, I, I don't laugh on those questions. I take them quite seriously because there are serious uh, topics. And as I said, there are serious problems uh, that need to be addressed and need to be resolved. We simply don't think that uh, the regulatory interventionist appetite uh, of the Commission uh, with this act is the necessary way forward.
I don't disagree with the concerns expressed uh, uh, by the journalists on the by the journalists on the importance of uh, safeguarding ju- journalists and their work. But simply, this is not the right uh, this is not the right way and the right mix. So, moving on to the provisions covering editorial independence in Article Six of the Act, the regulation says that. Media service providers providing news and current affairs content shall take measures that they deem appropriate with a view to guaranteeing the independence of individual editorial decisions. This wording seems quite vague and there isn't much detail given about what this should actually concretely entail. Ilias, given that ENPA has specifically called for the deletion of Article 6, what are your thoughts on these obligations and what is your objection to them given that they're so loose? Our concern uh, is that uh, the approach that has been taken by the European Commission on the issue of editorial uh, independence uh, seems uh, to suggest or to imply that editorial independence applies only for journalists and editorial teams. And uh, the Commission seems to forget uh, that uh, the publishers also exist and uh, the editorial freedom and independence of the publishers uh, is also a core element of uh, of press freedom. We are concerned um, that the Commission seems to uh, oppose or seems to pin uh, publishers against journalists here because we feel that both both uh, the editorial freedom of both publishers and journalists are core elements of any free press. And uh, at the end of the day, basically, what matters is the, the, the product that will come out. We understand, we realize, uh, we know very well that there are, most in most of the cases, the editor-in-chief usually takes the decisions, but of course, we cannot simply ignore uh, the publisher uh, and put him out of the equation uh, in in, in this uh, legislation. We are concerned that the European Commission has not satisfactorily reflected uh, on this uh, point and maybe seems not to understand too well, uh, and I regret to say that, the way that the, the sector and has been operating, has been operating for, uh, for decades. And uh, Renato, would you like to add anything here? Yes. First of all, I would just like to remind why we have this article, which indeed for us is very important, both when it comes to the conflict of interest clause, which we have in many countries, but not in all, but also when it comes to editorial freedom, editorial independence, something I know ENPA is also promoting There has been an unprecedented rise of self-censorship in the media. We have many studies, including from the Council of Europe, who has shown that self-censorship for different reasons, but mainly due to political, but also economic pressure, also pressure coming from the internal side. Looking at the media landscape in Europe, sure, we still have healthy media publishers, but we have specifically in Central Eastern Europe, 
an increased number of media captured, media captured by oligarchs uh, with obstruse um, backgrounds and certainly political interests. And I think that's why we have this article. Of course, we do not know, as Molly said herself, what does it mean appropriate? I think we all agree that we are for self-regulation in, in the press and online sector. There's no question about it. But I have no question that this regulation is not on editorial content. That has also been agreed by other publishers. I have heard that NPAR thinks editorial content is, is part of that. And I really want to say that it is not. You say publishers should have a say when it comes to editorial content. Um, well, maybe we have different interpretation. Also, the question of the editor-in-chief, if he is the first journalist or if he is part of the publishers. We prefer, of course, the editor-in-chief being number one of the journalists and protecting his journalist stuff for indeed editorial independence. This is so important and this is at stake now, not only in Europe, but all over the world. I agree that there are problems in some countries, serious problems. And I've said this earlier. Uh, however, I mean, this confirms uh, what I had said at the beginning as well, that we don't feel that the right approach uh, to uh, address those problems that are serious uh, is the approach taken uh, by the Commission with the Media Freedom Act. And there are publishers in those countries uh, that have been cited uh, by Renate uh, that feel the same. Maybe one uh, last remark on um, the role of the publisher. Uh, what I have said that uh, we feel that the act, uh, if it is now there, it has to emphasize that both, both publishers and journalists are protected by the freedom of the press. And, and, and of course, uh, this kind of regulatory interference, uh, we are concerned um, that it would be from our perspective, a blatant violation uh, of press freedom. And what does it mean, basically? Uh, it means that uh, press freedom, the way we see this at least, also protects the right of a publisher not to communicate any editorial guidelines, to leave editorial freedom fully to the editorial teams, or to exercise it, exercise it on a case-by-case -case basis. But what I understood here uh, is basically that uh, we uh, see that there are problems and, and there are important problems in some markets, but we don't feel that uh, the generalization of regulation from the side of the Commission all across Europe now uh, is the right way forward. To talk about a blatant violation of press freedom, to be honest, that, that makes me feel very at ease. We, that is 20 press freedom organizations, including the EFJ, IPI, RSF, Article 19, and many others, and civil society organizations, we have all welcomed this Media Freedom Act with quite a few buts, and we'll get to that maybe later. But 
none of us talks about blatant violations of press freedom, but the publishers. And I find that talks for itself. So, Renata, some people have expressed a lot of concern about the power that the legislation would hand to media regulators, especially given that the Act is set to create a new oversight body, the European Board for Media Services, which would have a much wider scope than its predecessor, ERGA, or the European Regulators Group for Audiovisual Media Services. How do you respond to this? And how do you justify giving a pan-European body greater power when it comes to regulating an area that's so nationally specific? Indeed, it is not an easy subject and we have to analyse it more profoundly. We are concerned as well as many others, including members of the, the board of ALGA, which ALGA Plus now will be the European board, that there may be too much influence from the European Commission, or we could turn it around that there is a lack of structural and functional independence from the Commission. Um, that is one point, and, and I think that can be improved by, by setting some, some uh, criteria for its independence. The second point I would like to mention is, of course, that this board uh, consists of all national regulators within the EU. And we all know that there are several ones, including from Hungary, Poland, Slovenia, Bulgaria, and I probably forgot some, um, who are not independent. I know that the argument is peer pressure and, and that helps them, but we are not certain if, if that works. The other point is that this board is supposed to take some um, tasks now regarding media concentration, which are not very clear to us. It's taken opinions and then the commission will take opinions on that. I think that needs much more clarity. On the issue of disinformation or, for example, um, decisions which had been taken by the commission to sanction uh, Russia today, or any other state propaganda, which now is supposed to be given somehow to, to this board, we also have some concerns. We would rather have them using the role to, to give expertise, advice on digital literacy or on how to improve things as they are. So in short, there is a lot of clarity and work to be done to make this board meaningful and independent foremost. I agree with uh, several of the concerns expressed by Renate. Uh, of course, we have uh, the most fundamental concern uh, here that uh, what we are dealing with uh, is an attempt, an effort to harmonize media law at EU level. And of course, we are not happy uh, if the printed and the digital press is being put for the first time under the regulatory supervision of this board. Uh, one additional remark from my side uh, is um, what concerns us as well. Uh, we create a precedent uh, here because uh, we may see a division of national regulation uh, into uh, good or bad which basically means complying with the opinions of the board and not complying uh, with the opinions uh, of the board. And this, we feel, will, will have repercussions uh, 
will have repercussions in particular uh, when it comes to the distribution, the preferential, let's say, distribution of some, of some content. Uh, of course, we, we are concerned uh, that this kind of recommendations may sooner or later uh, lead to binding rules. We know quite well uh, how this works uh, uh, and how this can inspire uh, the commission. So Article 17 of the Act deals with online platforms and includes requirements for platforms to justify instances where media outlets' content is removed from their sites. Do these measures go far enough in terms of addressing the relationship between tech companies and the press? And how would you respond to the concerns that have been raised by some people working in anti-disinformation fields that this provision echoes the media exemption debate that arose during the DSA negotiations and that it could give actors who say their media a privileged status online? Uh, Ilias, maybe we can start with you here. We, we, we do feel um, that a, a very important, a very basic, a very fundamental, if you want, prerequisite of any... Uh, free, independent, pluralistic press in Europe is the ability to finance itself uh, on the markets. And uh, what we might have liked to see is an approach that would have uh, made sure that the right framework conditions are in place, the right economic conditions are in place uh, to ensure that the press uh, is able to finance itself and to maintain its independence on the free market. Uh, and in this context, what I would like to say is that we feel it is important to ensure uh, non-discriminatory distribution of all legal, legal publications on those platforms and so to protect the press against platform censorship of legal content on the basis of the terms and conditions. What the Digital Services Act did for the first time was to grant those platforms uh, the right to delete to delete uh, legal press content based on uh, their terms and conditions. And we were very clear at the time on that. And we felt that this is a significant, a major interference with press freedom in the digital uh, uh, sphere. Uh, what, what we see now as a possible remedy that would require those platforms to notify and give prior notice to publishers, telling them uh, in advance of any removal and giving them the opportunity to comment. I I'm sorry, we feel it is inadequate, it, it is insufficient, and it, and it is even problematic. Renata, is there anything that you'd like to add on this? First of all, I have to say we have not had internal discussions among our affiliates about Article 17. So um, I, there is not so much I can say about it. First of all, because there are different articles with different issues, and I think some of them are very important, but um, we have to really see also with, with other groups within civil society that we do not go back to a media exemption. I personally find the proposal not bad, but I'm, I'm, I'm remaining quite prudent and um, we, have, we have internal discussions on that. But some of it I understand and could help dealing with the DSA 
but we have to look at the details. Great. Well, thank you both for the discussion. That's all we've got time for today. You can sign up to receive the Tech Brief newsletter via email every Friday for an overview of the week's digital policy news. And also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher and Amazon Music. This episode was produced with the technical help of Evie Curie. I'm Molly Colleen. Thanks for listening.